Welcome to Piggy Banks to Wall Street, the show that brings you the greatest minds in financial education. Piggy Banks to Wall Street is brought to you by Wenrick Wealth. To learn more about how Wenrick Wealth can help you plan for your future, or for a second opinion on your current plan, visit www.wenrickwealth.com or call 949-547-4313. Now your host, wealth manager, financial literacy advocate, and author of the book, Teaching Kids to Buy Stocks, Stories and Lessons for Grownups, J.J. Wenrick. Thank you for joining us. This is J.J. Wenrick. This is Piggy Banks to Wall Street, our new podcast that brings you the best minds in financial literacy right to your computer or smartphone. I am thrilled, over the moon, excited to invite Sam Rennick on the show today, one of the legends in financial education who, you know, one of the people I'd say, I, I call you the godfather of financial education because you you really did get it all started. And there's a lot of us that have, uh, are trying to push the ball forward lately but you've been doing this for a long time, Sam. So thanks so much for being on our show today. Oh, it's a real pleasure and honor. Thank uh, you, JJ. I love talking to uh, really everyone about uh, the importance and empowerment of financial uh, education. So I'm excited to uh, join you. Thank you for the compliments and, and praise. There were people before me, but you know this field has really grown a, a lot. And right now we may be in the golden era uh, in terms of there's uh, new ideas, new uh, resources and applications, uh, you know, coming in, you know, multiple times within the same day. So it's an exciting time uh, to be in this area. I think it's also an exciting time to be a parent or a consumer because there's so much available to them to help uh, get their kids uh, financially uh, able, capable, smart, all those different things including resources uh, like your book. And, you know, that's a, a big part of the, uh, the equation, learning to invest. No, so thank you. <laughs> no, absolutely. I'm, I'm so thrilled to, to have you on. And you're right. There's just a lot of new, uh, new stuff out there. Even since I wrote the book, my book's been out for a little over a year now. And as I was researching to see what all was out there, you know, I came across you and a couple of others but even just since I've published, I've noticed there are a lot of new ways to help educate kids that have come onto the scene and everybody has their own little twist on it. And I feel like a lot of it's driven by just social media has helped push that ball forward quite a bit because I see a lot of it come out of there. Let's talk a little bit about your, your journey. You did it before we had the luxury of social media and some of the technology and tell us a little about a little bit about what um, inspired you to get started and a little bit about what you've done over the years. Okay, well, this is uh, just to give a little background for the listeners. This is my first entrepreneurial venture and I guess my third uh, career. I started off in 1980 in uh, large corporate America with an aerospace firm, high tech. It was Fortune 100. I was on the business side. Uh, you know, they wouldn't let me do any engineering. I can, even to this day, hardly screw in a light bulb. <laughs> but it turned out to be a great environment uh, for me. I just, I, I love being around these top scientists and engineers. And they were taking ideas out of their head and turning them into real uh, things. And so being around that every day, I kind of learned 
what I would describe as the development uh, process. I left that industry, went into financial services, didn't really enjoy it for the most part, except for a, a few things. One was having conversations like these with just regular families. I was about in my 30s then, and the clients I had were, you know, largely similar to myself in their 30s or 40s with children. And through hundreds of conversations, I was finding out that a lot of people, this is, you know, back in the 90s, they weren't saving, they weren't investing, and they were sharing their regret and despair repeatedly with me for not having started sooner or having learned as kids and, and things like that. And so that was all just accumulating, I, I guess, in the back of my mind. And then one day, one of the things I did enjoy uh, in financial services, I was with a small boutique firm and they'd have these weekly trainings where they'd invite outside experts, highly seasoned in the field to come and, and talk to us. And one day uh, a gentleman showed up with an Etch-A-Sketch and a bubble blower. <laughs> I was like, you know, what is his angle? What is he going to be uh, talking about? And he talked to us about the importance of opening college savings uh, accounts and sending a signal to families that you're in it for the long haul, basically, and you wanted to build a relationship. Well, that was something I was already doing. So I, I was appreciative that somebody else was confirming that this was a good idea because there really wasn't any money uh, in, in doing that when you're opening, say, $25, $50, a, a month type savings. But I thought, I, I'm doing it. I think it is the right thing to do. And I think it has a lot of benefits. But it also triggered something within me that got me to thinking and reflecting on all these conversations I had, you know, why when I, I graduated from Loyola Marymount University and then went into this first professional experience in aerospace, from day one, I started putting like a third of what I made away. And then every year after that, I would increase it. I put money into savings. I put money into an investment program. They had a 401k. <laughs> you know, I was just loading up on this stuff, essentially spending less than I earned uh, and then trying to build, you know, wealth. I mean, it was, you know, I was making, I think, $8 an hour. I was at the bottom of the scale. <laughs> you're in an engineering firm. So first of all, you're not an engineer. So, so you're not making engineering money. You're on the business side. And I was at the bottom of the, the totem pole. But uh, for the first couple of years, I lived at home. I thought I was in a window of opportunity. I paid a little bit of rent, but not a lot. I thought, you know, I, it's a good idea to start saving and investing. I want to be on this path and journey. And let me just say, after 12 years, it added a lot. It started piling up, which is what, what I share with kids is, excuse me, you know, if you make this habit of saving and investing, your, your pile is going to grow and grow and grow. That's predictable. Now, it may grow at different rates, you know, based on returns, but that's the path you want to you want to be on, be on. And so I grew up in a small house, two bedroom, one bath with seven people in it. What I found out in college, essentially, and I don't know why I knew this, but I had kind of an idea of our family income. And I was in this e basic uh, intro economics course. And the professor says, uh, the poverty line is here at this number. And I'm like, oh my goodness, we're hovering at the poverty line. That's my number. <laughs> that's my number. That's my number. <laughs> and, you know, 
I had really no concept of that because, you know, we ate every day. We had what we needed. Right. Uh, but uh, anyways, with that background, my father, it seems like from the moment I was born, he talked to us about the importance of working hard, getting an education, and figuring out what it is you want. And he would say repeatedly, you know, you can get anything or have anything you want if you're willing to work hard and get an education. And so he dangled that carrot. That that still plays in my mind to this day, but it seems like he started saying that from the moment I was born. Now, we'd have these various experiences that he would join in on. He didn't join in on a lot of stuff, but if we were going to cut a neighbor's lawn, if we were going to wash uh, a relative's car, he would be there with us doing it, helping to instill that work ethic and then share these little tidbits of information. And so we had kind of this hopeful growth mindset. Now, l- let me say, I, I didn't, you know, I kind of understood we didn't have a lot of money because I would ask, you know, like any kid, I'm asking my mother and father, hey, can I have a back in the day, a dime or a quarter. All right. That was a, that was a big deal. Then. All right. You can, you can get a donut or an ice cream or a Coke for, for a dime. And the answer most frequent frequently was no. Every once in a while it was yes. But my dad would always share, he didn't use these exact words, but the money that we have, we have purposes for it. And the first purpose is housing. The next purpose is we're going to need to eat and we're going to want some, uh, heat, uh, things like that. So he was instilling this idea that, you know, you make choices, you want to prioritize and organize them. And we're going to be making these decisions if we, he didn't use the word discretionary income, but if we ever have any, and uh, and we had a list for what, you know, uh, priorities on how to use that if we, you know, had some, then maybe we'll get you, uh, you know, a Coke or something like that. You know, that might work out maybe once a month or once every two months or or whatever it was, but, you know, this was uh, something that these ideas and thinking he shared with us, you know, over and over for a 10, 15, 20 year. I mean, he was sharing that type of stuff with us well into adulthood. Right. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there reflecting on the uh, bubble blower and the Etch-A-Sketch and then thinking about it for, for months after and realizing you know, a lot of people didn't get this kind of education or right. training. And for me, it was transformative. All right. Uh, th- planting these ideas, providing this hope. Uh, and, and they're just general guidelines. They're not specific. Like, you know, he, he, he was out of the depression era. So he was right. really against the stock market. So he never said, oh, invest in stocks, which I did end up doing. <laughs> but I think that was from, you know, the, the foundation that he laid. And I just thought to myself at that time, I think I was at the right moment in life, JJ. I was around 40 and I'm, I'm thinking more also about, you know, what is my real purpose here in, in, in life if, if, if I have one? And I thought, you know what? I happen to know a little bit about what I'll call the basics of financial education. And by the basics, I mean, you earn here, you spend here. If you can master that one concept, you're going to be progressing towards financial freedom, financial security, having more choices. You've got a foundation to build on. And then you can talk to JJ or you could talk to whoever and find out it leads to these questions like, okay, I'm, I'm 
developing this pile of money. Some of it is for emergencies. Some of it is maybe for a home. Some of it I want to grow faster than, let's say today, less than 1%. Right. How, how do I do that? Oh, there are things like stocks or other things. So I, I, I think to me, if you start saving, I think it starts leading. I, I consider saving a leading behavior. It leads to other questions like, how can I earn more money or is my money you know, deployed correctly or, or whatever? And the answer is going to be somewhat different for every person based on their particular goals. But in general, you want to get on that path. And it, it might start with pennies. You know, to me, there is, there's a power in saving pennies repeatedly. It's, if you think of your mind like a computer and a software, it starts developing this mindset that uh, you can give your money a purpose in addition to spending it. Now, spending is a purpose. If you're going to look at spending, I think you want to have a strategy. You want, you, you want to get value out of what you spend for the most part, whether it's experiences, food, whatever it is. You just don't want to spend, spend, spend. All that started coming together, and I started thinking, and it just it, it tugged at me, and I found I had a lot of passion and a certain amount of knowledge. And I thought, we've got to get, you know, how, how do we go about this? What do we do? And maybe we we could develop something that uh, like an Etch-A-Sketch that is fun, but communicates personal finance knowledge. But mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the background of the birth of Sammy the Rabbit and our first book. I see it up on the screen. It's a habit, Sammy Rabbit. Yep. No, no, that's great. I think that there's a couple things. One, we take for granted what we learned growing up. You know, if, if mom and dad tell us that, we figure, well, everybody's mom and dad might be telling us that. Okay, that's what I did. <laughs> See, that, that's why I was stunned. I guess I was under this magical spell. My dad was from the Midwest. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. But he talked about this thing, Midwest common sense, you know. And we saved a little, but not much because, you know, we most of our money went towards what I'll call necessary living expenses. <laughs> but but uh, the idea, my father in particular, because, say, they didn't have a great capacity for saving, that didn't paralyze or prevent him from sharing the importance of that with me and my brothers and sisters. He knew that was the right path and that we might have a different opportunity than the one that he had. And so he wanted us to have access to that information, which I've, I've discovered, you know, there's, it, it may or may not be purposeful, but there's a lot of people who don't have, and children in particular, that don't have that basic information. Some people just devalue it because they say, well, the, the, having the information, it isn't enough. And that, that's true, but it does start with the information. Right. Yeah, that doesn't mean <laughs> we don't give it. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you don't know the right path, how are you going to choose the right path? Right. <laughs> or, or, or a more empowered path if you don't want to put it in terms of right or, or wrong. But if you want more financial wellness capability, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when I got into financial services, I mean, I just thought everybody's saving because what you said, right. Jay, this is what my parents, this is Midwest common sense. Right. You know, but now, I, but now it's like research. I'm finding, oh my goodness. Uh, Juan or Jane, uh, they own a BMW. I thought they owned it. No, what they, they have the car in their possession, but they're making payments at 
12% or 18%. And, you know, when we used to have paper boys and paper girls, they didn't have $5 in cash to pay the paper boy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> paper girl. It's like, what, what, uh, what common sense is this? Right. <laughs> you know, there was a, there's a lot of, there's still today a lot of people on that, you know, oh, path. But, uh, yeah, but I, anyway, so that, I think you're exactly right. Sometimes you discount what your parents, uh, share with you or maybe you you take it in for i think people do take it in for a period but then i think as the natural progression as you move into your teens or whatever you're questioning everything you're discounting everything you get into college maybe you think oh my god my parents don't know anything and then you move into maybe your 20s or your 30s and you realize well my parents may not know everything but they did know a lot of things yeah they, yeah, <laughs> they get smarter every year i i, I say that yeah. especially as my kids grow up i i apologize to my mom and dad a little bit more about the way i was as a kid <laughs> <laughs> you know that that really for me that's been my uh, experience that is the the case but i will say uh for whatever reasons that i think this happens sometimes uh i did take in a lot of what my father uh shared and respected it honored it executed you know on it not to say you know i did push in certain areas like you know investing in stocks and, and and other areas that you know he was like you know the stock market was really not his thing but i think a lot of that had to do with uh you know coming out of the depression uh, era but ha having said that most of what he had to share related to money he had mastered the basics mm -hmm. you know and, and and i you know i see people like yourself warren buffett and others you know it's interesting to me you know warren buffett even though he's you know this great stock investor one of his core philosophies is you know to save first then spend <laughs> oh yeah you know if you don't do the basics the rest doesn't doesn't matter and that's part of the problem i see when i start to talk to young people and not just young people but adults too is they want to skip steps they want to go straight to well let me get a rate of return so that it can bail me out of this tight situation well that's not going to work you're setting yourself up for failure and Exactly. What I try to self, say, folks, kind of like you alluded to, is you're, you start by saving your pennies, and you've got to start with the simple basics of spend less than you earn, and the math is super easy. The math is not hard. It's the, the math is super easy. <laughs> we should write that book together, JJ. The <laughs> math. I love. I mean, as a as a story writer, I love titles. The math is super easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's that giving up and sacrificing part that's really hard. Okay, I you know uh, I wish we had some kind of a bell sound, but yeah, yeah bang 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 yes or uh, my, my Jim Cramer noise effect. <laughs> yeah, your Jim Cramer noise effect. Yes, exactly. For me, I mean that really resonates deeply. Yep. One of the the phrases that I um, saw someone use recently, and so I've been borrowing it or stealing it or whatever, is they say you're your rate of return doesn't matter early on it's your rate of savings that matters the most now later on if you have a big pile of money then your rate of return is going to matter a little more once it's started to work for you but early on it's the rate of savings that matters more than anything just seeing that those pennies those dollars if you keep doing it you build that habit like you say then it's uh it, it stacks up quicker than people realize um, exactly. I mean, look, rate, rates of return are important. You should be looking at that and, and getting advice. But I, I think, you know, you framed it in my mind exactly right. 
you, you want to get the basics down. You want to build that foundation. Returns are going to go up and down. If you're on that path, you're, you're in control of your life. Uh, those are the, 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 the crucial uh, things that are going to take you from beginning to end in the most financially secure, financially stable, financially free uh, way. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't have that foundation, you're putting everything else at risk. And sometimes what happens is, and this could be the worst thing, even though it seems like it's the best thing, if you're young and say maybe you do have a, a, an investment that just uh, goes off the charts and explodes for you, that can create a sense of uh, unearned confidence, I'll call it. <laughs> and so then you, you think you know something and maybe what happened was you just got lucky. <laughs> but it produces this confidence within you. <laughs> and so you start accelerating your strategy or taking other greater strategies. And then the, the tide changes. And, you know, just in this century, we've seen the tide change several times. <laughs> just in 2020, we've seen the tide change several times. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. You know, I remember getting a call from someone. Uh, I, I, I don't know, it might have been just a few weeks or maybe a month or two into the coronavirus when the market was going down. And they're like, what should I do? Should I get out? And, you know, I was like, uh, I don't give that kind of advice. So this was a friend. They're just, uh, you know, asking my opinion. And I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I have no no real idea, but I, I sense what your concern is, right? And three days later, the market is starting to rise. And I, I think that because I, I, if I remember correctly, uh, it was like around 19,000 or under 20,000. And it's like, oh my goodness, this thing might go down to 5,000. I, I don't know. Now, I, I do think, it, let's say in whatever, 10 years, 20 years or 30 years, it's probably going to be higher. But, you know, who, who, who knows? But here we are. I don't know what it is today, but I think it's over 25,000 now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Now here we are flirting <laughs> with highs. Who I don't know what's more remarkable, the drop we saw in that market or the, the bounce. It's been okay. It's been remarkable. Yeah, but it, it 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 you know one of the things in the banking crisis, I guess, you know, I, I've seen this. I don't know, maybe four or five times. I'll go back to 1987 when I was just starting to uh, build and accumulate uh, a certain level of financial freedom. That's not the way I look, like to look at it. I was never, uh, you know, I, I was just on that path. I never had oodles and oodles of uh, of money but I had a certain amount that provided some freedom of choice. But in 87, I had probably, you know, let's say 70 or 80% of the wealth I had created in the stock market. And two days, there was Black Friday and then, I don't know, a couple other days, but it went down like, uh, I don't know if it was 40% or, or I think it went from like 2,200 to 1,700. And thank goodness a lot of this happened on a Friday. Because <laughs> I'm like, Okay, so I had, bet, I had spent six or seven years building up to this point, and now a third of it is wiped out in, in one, one or two days. But over the weekend, I was out of town on a business trip. I was able to reflect, and I'm th I was thinking and asking myself questions. Most of what I was doing was for long-term investing. So I concluded, I said, the real question I need to ask myself is, what is the value going to be in 15 or 20 years, which is when I'm thinking I'm going to use this money. Is it going to be up or is it going to be down? 
and I concluded it's going to be up, I need to keep adding to my accounts. Right. <laughs> now, it's hard to do though. Hard to okay, do. It, okay. It, for me, let me say it, it might have been miraculous even because I only had five or six years of context. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, I'm 60. I have 40 years of context. Context. I've been through this drill maybe four times, uh, you know, uh, the banking crisis, the meltdown of uh, the NASDAQ. And, and I mean, even the S&P 500 went down substantially. I think, you know, from whatever it was, 12 or 13,000 down to 9,000. Okay, that was only 10 years ago. Now, now here we are at 26 or 27,000. Right. <laughs> whatever it is, you know, going back to our main point, you want, I think you want to be continually adding to your savings and investment accounts through ups and downs and all of that type of thing aligned towards whatever your specific goals are. Absolutely. It's owning a home, if it's retirement, if it's more freedom, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. Yep. Well, and you can't keep that long-term perspective if you've invested all of your money and you don't have an emergency fund set up first. And you know, if you have that emergency fund, then you can say, well, is this, this isn't the money I'm spending. This isn't my rent money. You know, and so that's where you set yourself up for failure when you skip that step of having yes. cash. Uh, yes. Yes. It puts you in a bad frame of mind. And, and it does. <laughs> just, just like uh, the math of the budgeting and saving is very simple. It's the psychology that's hard. It's yes. the same thing when it comes to investing. Most of the, I mean, you can make it complicated very quickly, but most of the basics of investing, it's not hard math. It's not, you know, this wizardry that, that people like to make it out to be. It's just the psychology of doing it consistently. And then having enough set aside in, in something that's going to be a cushion that you can weather your own psychology so you don't freak out when everybody else is freaking out. But if that's your rent money, you're going to freak out and you're going yes. to do the wrong thing. So. Uh, as I like to say, you know, I, I always share, I'm a legend at singing off key. <laughs> <laughs> I say, Hey, hey man. Hey, hey man. Yes. JJ. <laughs> uh, to me, that all makes one heck of a lot of uh, sense. And so, you know, I, I think we need to start building that psychology as early as possible. Early may be different for various people. I just responded to a post this morning. I think you definitely need to start talking to your kids with intention, with consciousness, uh, somewhere between ages three and four, but you could start even uh, earlier. That's up to you, but you want to make sure it's it's definitely happening, and you're helping them develop a an outlook, a philosophy towards money and their relationship with it before ages seven and eight. And I've talked to a lot of kids, uh, you know, at four, five, uh, some at at three. And what I can tell you is, is they're already forming associations, feelings, attitudes, and possibly even habits related to money. And 99% of them are related not only to spending, but overspending, not smart, not smart spending. But interestingly enough, every once in a while you run into a child, you know, I think this kid's name was Diego, four years old. And I think I had asked the question, like, you know, what is money for? And most of the answers are like Chuck E. Cheese, Disneyland, stuff like <laughs> that. But he's like, oh, money is for groceries at the store. 
and yeah. the food and the food we need to get. And I'm like, where, where did you get that idea? Wow. <laughs> Somebody, I mean, you know, so it shows you that kids, you know, they may not be able to articulate or express everything that they're learning, but they are learning. They are making these, you know, relationships and forming these associations and education in my mind, it's a process and related to money, you know, it needs to be cradle to grave. You're facing all these different situations at different points. And it's not only learning, but it's, 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 you need to be reminded where we, we are presented with temptations every day, you know, get the coffee, get the ice cream, right. get the chocolate, take the trip to Disneyland, go to the ball game. <laughs> and, you know, you can resist for, you know, uh, a day, a week, a month, a year. And then, you know, you may make, uh, you know, a mistake. Hopefully it's a small mistake, but not one that upends your whole, you know, financial stableness, uh, you know, with one decision. Like, okay, I decided I deserve a car and you buy one and finance it, you know, two levels above maybe what you should be, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so, you know, stuff like that. So anyways, yeah. I think the process is should begin early. What a lot of people don't realize is, and I, I make this distinction, you know, it's about intention and consciousness Money discussions are going on all the time. So, so I'm going to call that education. Kids are being educated, but usually it, it's not informed or not with purpose and, in, and intention. You want to take charge of that and try and get them on the right path. If you can demonstrate that behavior, it's even better. But don't, like, you know, uh, my father, not that they were, you know, they, they were demonstrated. They basically lived their values. But maybe they could have lived a little higher, like we all can. We're not uh, perfect, but whether you are or you aren't, don't allow that to paralyze and prevent you from uh, giving the you know good information to your kids about money. Because if you're not doing it or you're giving them unintentionally the wrong information, there's other people who are adding to it, pumping ideas right. into their their visual consciousness and their you know audio conscious consciousness so those neural uh, highways feelings associations habits they're being formed whether you think it's a good idea or not as the line i always like to use is it, it, as soon as they stop putting the coins in their mouth once they know that <laughs> then it's time to start talking about money um, oh you know that's funny uh you you mentioned that because i think we did do a blog like are your kids eating your Money, well, right. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll, you'll be, and you inspired that. And so uh, you'll be happy to know uh, the blog I posted this morning uh, came from a contact of mine in India. He and one of his colleagues wrote uh, an article about teaching your kids about money. And so he mentioned me in there and he referenced that blog. <laughs> Are your kids <laughs> eating your money? <laughs> their money. <laughs> So yep. that, that idea is spreading, JJ. Well, good. <laughs> at, least, at least I've taught the world something. <laughs> hey, that, for people who say aren't confident about uh, their knowledge in money, uh, do a little homework and check out 
make sure, and I'm just talking about the, the, the basics that they're uh, in line with proven personal finance concepts, like uh, spending less than you earn, okay? Because I, I do run into this parenting psychology that, okay, I'm going to give you everything I didn't have as a child. Let me right. say, that is not a proven personal finance <laughs> concept that leads to greater financial security, stability, or freedom. It does right. have a certain psychology and appeal, but it's one that parents need to, uh, although it may be, like, say, perfectly natural to feel that way, but I think parents are well advised to restrain or moderate that thinking that ultimately that isn't in a child's best interest from, you know, a lot of perspectives, money being one of them. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. And that's part of why it's so great that there's such great tools out there, like, like your books and everything you've done. Um, and so I just grateful to, uh, to have found all of your information and be able to share that with parents because it really does help those parents that um, don't feel that they have that necessary knowledge to at least have a path and makes it easy. Yes. And fun. So, so I, well, you know, thank you. And here, here's something you hit on another point that I've really been banging the drum on recently and hope to, to bang the drum on more is that one of the messages, parents, grandparents, teachers, but mainly parents, grandparents, anyone taking care of children, I think need to be made aware of, and I don't think the media is doing a good job in this area is letting them know what you just shared is that we're living at a moment when there are more resources available and accessible to parents of all demographics mm -hmm. within a click. <laughs> so the resources are there. There's a lot of outstanding ones and they're accessible. A lot of the narrative seems to be around like, oh, there isn't financial literacy in schools or this or that. You don't have to look, it might be helpful to have more financial literacy in schools and, and different places. We need a lot of touch points and places to reinforce the, the messaging. But the reality is the resources and the access exists right now. If you have a cell phone, if you have a laptop, if you have a tablet, or if you can get to a library or other places that offer those, including neighbors, there isn't any reason why you can't be financially educating your uh, child today, regardless of your uh, demographics, including income and all that. Now, if you don't have internet access, it may be a little bit harder. All right. So maybe you have to go to a library or borrow a book or, or whatever it is. The knowledge exists. Tap into it. It's never been easier to access it. There isn't any reason, you know, or 99% that you shouldn't be able to access it if you want to. And there's a lot of champions now more than ever at any point in history, like yourself, like myself, like many others who uh, are happy to talk to uh, people and help put them on the right path. If you think of it like hamburgers, you know, we have lots of choices in hamburgers, whether it's McDonald's, In-N-Out, or a, a great mom and pop place, uh, financial literacy and education is becoming more like that. There's a lot of great resources out there that are easy to access. Don't buy into, oh, uh, we should 
uh, we need schools to be teaching it or this or that or whatever it is. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying schools should not be teaching it. I'm just saying you don't have to wait. Start empowering and enabling your kids today, right now, uh, this very moment. That that's so well put. We can't let that be an excuse for why we don't do it on our own in the home. So great advice. Thank you. And I like that phrasing why we don't do it on our own in the home. Right. <laughs> we might have, I'm going to have to really review this tape. We might have four or five titles for uh, might have a books couple here, blog David. posts in here <laughs> or, wow. blog, or blog posts. Yes. I mean, right now you've got uh, at least in the last 30 days and maybe this year, uh, uh, that whole, have you, uh, are your kids eating their money? Uh, <laughs> that could be the, uh, post, the title post of the year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Sam, I just can't thank you enough for all that you've done for the cause and for really being one of the pioneers. Uh, appreciate you taking time to visit today. Uh, again, we've been visiting with Sam Rennick and his website is sammyrabbit.com. You see uh, a couple of the, his books on the, uh, the screen behind me, but there's more than that on the site. When you go, you'll see there's songs, um, there's, there's stories, there's all sorts of great materials. And if you uh, are on social media, you'll, you'll certainly find them there. So I really appreciate you being with us, Sam. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Uh, thanks, JJ. Let's keep hopping ahead. That's what we say in the buddy business. <laughs> go, Sammy, go. <laughs> All right. You have a sammy rific day. Thank you, JJ. Thank you so much. You do the same. All right. This podcast is sponsored by Winrick Wealth. To learn more about how we can help you plan for your future or for a second opinion on your current plan, visit our website at www.winrickwealth.com or call 949 949- JJ's book, Teaching Kids to Buy Stocks, Stories and Lessons for Grown-Ups, is available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other fine book retailers. Learn more at TeachingKidsToBuyStocks.com. Piggy Banks to Wall Street is proud to be a part of the Golden Seal Productions family of shows. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPIC. Winrick Wealth, Teaching Kids to Buy Stocks, Golden Seal Productions, and OC Talk Radio are not affiliated with LPL Financial. The opinions in this matter are for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations or a substitute for specific tax or legal advice for any individual. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. No strategy assures success or protects against loss.